All right. Today we get to talk about heaven. One more thing that I'm grateful for. I don't have to talk about hell this week. Uh, that was last week. This week we get to talk about heaven, which is much more encouraging and much more exciting and something I'm much more looking forward to. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, first of all, we discovered uh, that eternity is reality. We talked about the tent, that, that God has given us a body, and that body is, is deteriorating. It is dying. As you sit in your seat, your body is corroding and eroding and getting closer to no longer being here. It's a tent. It's not permanent. And yet, because of Jesus, those of us who are Christians, we don't get swallowed up into death. We're swallowed up into life. It's an amazing, awesome truth. Last week we discovered that hell was not created for us. That hell was created for the enemy. That hell was created for for those who rebelled against God long, long, long ago. And it was not created for us. And praise Jesus, we don't have to go there. Praise Jesus, even though we deserve it, even though that we've earned it, even though there's no other place that we belong like we belong in hell, we don't have to go because of Jesus. And today, we get to talk about the place that we do get to go to. And so, uh, as way of introduction, as we kind of gear our minds up to think about heaven, which is kind of huge and kind of this massive topic, and honestly, we could do like an eight-week series just about heaven and not even scratch the surface of what Scripture says about heaven. So, you're going to get just a little, little, little taste today uh, of what heaven looks like, what the Bible has to say about it. But before we get to that, I want to ask you this. What is the greatest place in your mind on earth? What's the greatest place on earth? Your opinion is the only opinion on this that matters. To you, what's the greatest place on earth? Now, I want you to tell the person next to you, what's the greatest place on earth to you? First thing that comes to your mind, maybe you'll change your mind later, but right now, this is the best place on earth to you. All right, well, I want to show you some pictures of some places that, that different people might say, hey, this is one of the greatest places on earth. Go ahead and put the first one up here. This is Daytona 500. And it's Tripp's birthday on Tuesday, so I'm not even going to make fun of NASCAR. Happy birthday, Tripp. I love you. I'm just going to leave that one alone today. So some people might think that, that Daytona is one of the greatest places on earth. Go ahead and put the next one up there for us, Sam. Uh, second, we have uh, the Amen Corner. If, if you're into golf, Augusta National is kind of the, the pinnacle uh, of, of that entire sport. It is like the place that everyone wants to play. It's very exclusive. It's very difficult to get into. It's gorgeous. Uh, th- that is one place that some people would consider one of the greatest places on earth. Go ahead and put the next one up, Sam. Next up, we have... Vaught Hemingway Stadium. Uh, now, uh, for the Ole Miss Rebel fans, some of you are like, yes, that's heaven, uh, especially after yesterday. Uh, and, and some of you, maybe you're Mississippi State fans, and you're like, what about Davis Wade? Well, we talked about hell last week, so we've covered that. Check out the podcast. Just kidding. That joke actually was going to go either way, depending on who won the game. I'm a bandwagon Ole Miss fan. So if, Ole, if Mississippi State would have won, that joke would have went completely the other way. But yesterday, Ole Miss won. So that's how that played out. Uh, so thank you, Ole Miss Rebels. Um, next one, maybe you're, maybe not in the sports. Maybe uh, you're like, okay, none of this is for me. Uh, and so maybe some of the women, maybe some of the men, this is a place you're like, okay, that is one of the greatest places 
on earth to me. Uh, I've got great news for you women. Next year for Mother's Day, we're actually going to give away a treat, trip to that beach right there. I'm joking. I don't even know what beach that is. Uh, but, uh, but some of you were like, I'm making plans to be in church Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. Like it just went up a day. Uh, so some of you are ready. Uh, but man, the beach, what an awesome, awesome place. Everybody loves the beach. And so one more uh, for you. This is... Oh, oh, there it is. Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. It's Christmas season. How many of you, you are Christmas nerds? You love this time of year. A few of you. How many of you hate this time of year? You hate Christmas music. You hate when Thanksgiving comes because you got to listen to all that. Okay, a few of you are honest. Uh, some of you maybe more would say that. Well, Rockefeller, I would love to go see this Christmas tree. Like, it's legendary. I think the first time I ever saw it was like Home Alone 2. Lost in New York, and since then, I was like 11 years old. We saw that for my birthday one year, actually. Uh, since that moment, like, I've always wanted to go see this amazing Christmas tree. Well, if you're a Christmas nerd like I am, I do have some good news for you. Uh, today, after service, we're going to turn this into winter Christmas wonderland. We've got all of our Christmas decorations and stuff. So if you're free today after service and you want to hang out with us for a little while, uh, you can help us. We'll put on some Christmas music. And, uh, and we'll do some decorations and bring out the trees and the ornaments and all that fun stuff. But with all that in mind, I want to talk to you this morning about the place that, that isn't just uh, great. It isn't just beautiful. It isn't just this place that we'd all like to go and, and enjoy for a moment. But the place that is beyond our comprehension, the place that is beyond description, the place that one day, if you know Jesus, you're going to spend a whole lot of time there. In fact, eternity. I want to talk to you today about heaven. Um, if you're not a Christian today, let me say this. Uh, as a follower of Christ, I, I do believe that there is a place called heaven. I do believe that people who follow Jesus, that give their life to him, that believe on him as their Lord and their Savior, that they are going to end up in that place after they die. Uh, and so the real question I want to answer for you today is what will heaven be like? What is heaven going to look like? What What is that going to be? And, and I'm not necessarily going to approach this from the, the perspective that most of us would necessarily expect, and so, or even the, the perspective that I expected to as we prepared for this series. So when I first think about heaven, from a scriptural standpoint, a few things come to my mind, and this is what I've kind of thought my whole life. Um, I think about streets of gold, right? Like we hear that, man, heaven is a place with streets of gold. Like God is so rich that the thing that the whole world's economy like lusts after and chases after, God says, we're just going to paint the streets with it. That's how abundant the wealth is in heaven. I think that's pretty amazing. And so my whole life, I look for, man, I want to see what do the streets of gold actually look like? Like, can I see my reflection in them? Can I scrape a little of it off the top and take it with me? Like, what's it going to be like on the streets of gold? And then the Bible talks about a crystal sea. There's water there. And the water is so beautiful that it would make that water at the beach we just saw like look like the sewer. Like the water is so gorgeous and so crystal clear. And it's going to taste so good. Like we're not going to want to drink anything else. And we're going to be blessed with this crystal sea. And I think that's pretty amazing. And then the Bible talks about rooms or, or the King James talks about mansions. And most of us, man, we like the idea of having a mansion like you know, I'm blessed with a nice house. I'm blessed with more space than I need. But I don't have a mansion. But one day I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to have a, a massive place 
to live. And so we, we think about those things. The, the walls around heaven, they're, they're built with these precious gems. Um, and so we know all these different facts about heaven. One of the best things that the Bible says about heaven is there's no sick people there. Not because they got rid of the sick people, but because they got rid of the sickness. That's awesome to me. As long as I can remember, I'm, I'm almost 34 years old. As long as I can remember, my mother has had massive, terrible migraine headaches. Like, like day to day, you never know if she's going to feel like she's about to die. And it's been that way for, for pretty much my entire life. And yet a day is coming when my mom will have no more pain, when my mom will be completely healthy. Since I, I was a, a young boy, probably six, seven years old, my dad's back got really messed up, and he had to have his first back surgery, and then he had another back surgery. And so uh, for pretty much as long as I can remember, when I wanted to throw a ball around with my dad or play catch with dad or hang out with dad or wrestle with dad or whatever it might be, dad's always had a lot of back pain. And he's tried to push through that to hang out with us and be there for us. And my dad is a tough dude. He was a Marine, but, but he's always had to hold back. There's always been something that, that prevented him from going all out. And yet in heaven, my dad's going to have no back pain. He's going to be able to run, and he's going to be able to jump, and he's going to be able to dance, and he's going to be able to do all those things for the, that for the past 25, 30 years, he hasn't been able to do, or at least hasn't been able to do without worrying what's going to happen. He's going to be worry-free. That's amazing. That's incredible. There's no sickness. There's no pain. Heaven is an incredible place. But here's what I discovered preparing for this series. The most important thing about heaven, the most important truth about heaven, the thing that, that we need to grab onto about heaven isn't all of this stuff that's going to be there in heaven. There's something even greater. And you can find it in Ezekiel chapter 48. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read you one verse there. If you've got your Bible with you today, turn to John chapter 14. We spent a little more time in John 14. But I want to read you just one verse from Ezekiel chapter 48 that, that tells us that I've been focused on the wrong things about heaven my whole life, even looking forward to, to meeting my grandfather. My grandfather passed when I was 18 months old. And I can't wait to get to heaven to, to, to talk to my grandfather. In fact, somebody asked me yesterday if you could uh, hang out with one person from history. Who would you want to hang out with? And I said, well, I'm going to give you a, a personal answer and a historical answer. And I said, my personal answer is I, I want to hang out with my grandpa. I want to get to know my grandpa. I want to know what, what, what was he like? What was my dad like when he was a kid? Like, I want to have those conversations well, I know one day I'll get to in heaven, and I've always looked forward to that. But there's something even greater than that that I had to look forward to. And Ezekiel 48 tells us about it. Ezekiel 48, verse 35 says this, talking about heaven, talking about the new Jerusalem that, that God is going to create. It says the distance all around will be 18,000 cubits. I don't know how much that is, but it's big, right? It's a, it's a large place. It's big enough for all of God's people. And then check out this quote. In the name of the city from that time on, will be the Lord is there. What makes heaven heaven? Jesus is there. What makes it the greatest place in all creation? It's not the streets of gold. It's not the crystal sea. It's not the fact that there's no pain or no sorrow or no death. All those things are awesome and they're beyond our comprehension. They're beyond anything we can experience here on earth. But if you take all that away, if all that was ripped away and stripped away, if all that was left about heaven was the presence of Jesus, it would still be heaven and it would still blow away anything we've ever experienced. Because the Lord is there. So you think 
about heaven, when you think about that place that you're going to be one day, yes, you can think about all the details and and the decor and the scenery. Yes, you can think about the people you want to have a conversation with. I think about those things. But the number one thing that God's people should look forward to, the number one thing that should excite you, the number one thing that should fire you up for what the church for centuries has called the blessed hope is that Jesus is there. And so here's the take-home point for today. I'm going to give it to you up front. If you don't hear anything else I say, if you want to check out, you want to go to sleep for the rest of my message, please don't. But if you want to, if you still have, if you have like turkey for breakfast today because you got leftovers, at least listen to this and write this down because this is the greatest point we're going to make today. Heaven will be awesome. Not because of what is there, but because of who is there. Understand this, church, people of God, the joy that should overwhelm you when you look forward to the next life is not the house that you might live in. It's not the beautiful scenery you might get to experience. It's not the fact that you're not going to have pain anymore or you're going to have an ACL that God designed for you to have like I will instead of the one they had to surgically repair. All those things are going to be great. But heaven will be awesome, not because of what is there, but because of who is there. And that who is Jesus. It's going to be amazing. There's a hymn written a little little over 100 years ago, written in 1904. And in 1904, this man penned this hymn. And I, I was brought to remembrance of it this week. And I Actually, a guy named Chris Tomlin redid this hymn a few years ago, and I really enjoyed it and really got into it, and then I kind of moved on from it and forgotten about it for a couple of years, and it was brought back to my memory. And and I want to share some of the lyrics with you today because I think they're so appropriate to what we're talking about, and I think this guy really had an an understanding of the truth. And so uh, the, the hymn is called I Stand Amazed in the Presence. And I want to share with you, kind of from this hymn, as long as with, from Scripture, I want to share with you three things that, about heaven, three things that will happen in heaven, three things that you and I will experience in heaven. So when we get to heaven, number one, write this down. We will be amazed. Number one thing that's going to happen when you and I get to heaven is we will be amazed. The, the first stanza of this hymn says this. He says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. That pretty much sums it up right there. When you get in the presence of Jesus, everything else is going to fade away. Everything else is going to seem so so lacking in importance. It's going to seem so minuscule. It's going to mean so little in the presence of Jesus. Jesus' presence is going to amaze you. When we truly focus on the person of Jesus, I think there's only one response, to be amazed. When we truly are confronted with who Jesus is, as much as we can process it even here on earth, our response is to be amazed. But when we see him face to face, when he's revealed in his full glory, when we can actually talk to him and hear him respond, when we can hug him, when we're in his presence and he is glorified, there will be no response but simply to be amazed. You know, uh, a lot of times I've been that person who, who's been like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for God. Anybody else ever been that guy? Like, I, like God's got an answer to us, right? Well, why did you do it this way, God? 
what an idiot I am sometimes, right? Uh, like, like he's going to have to worry about that. But the truth is when I get to heaven, I'm only going to have one question. And you're only going to have one question. And that question is going to be this. How the heck did I get in? How in the world did he allow me to come in to his presence? I don't belong here. I'm not good enough to be here. Why would you allow me to be a part of this? That's the only question we're going to have. We're going to be amazed. And a lot of times, I believe as Christians, we lose that amazement at who Jesus is. A lot of times we we lose that focus and that reverence and that mind-blowing wonder that Jesus would do this for me, that he would be here for me. Uh, When I was in high school, it was my sophomore year, uh, I had a good buddy who was a good godly guy. His name was Brandon Philback. In fact, Brandon now is a a missionary in Nepal. Um, and, And so... We kind of, by the end of our freshman year, like, we got serious about God together. And we're like, okay, we're not going to play games anymore. We're not doing this kind of one foot in, one foot out. Like, we're going for this. We're going to see what this is all about. And so our sophomore year started out, one of the the rival high schools, there's three high schools in our county, one of the rival high schools had a back-to-school youth rally. And at this this back-to-school youth rally, we went, and there was a guy leading worship there who Brandon was familiar with. And this guy who led worship, uh, Brandon had gone to a conference that he played at or something. And so after the, the... Night was over. Brandon just wants to go talk to this guy. And we're supposed to go back. Like, we got, like, a ping-pong tournament back at the house. I'm like, come on, man. I'm hungry. Let's get out of here. So I talked to this guy with Brandon, but I am not impressed at all. Like, he's just, you know, like a million other worship leaders that I've heard. Nothing special about him. Nothing good about him. Like, let's just get out of here. I don't have time for this. Turns out that worship leader went on to blow up. His name is Chris Tomlin. Uh, and he went on to write uh, some of the greatest songs of our generation that bring us into the presence of God. He's incredibly well-known now. I didn't get a picture. I didn't get an autograph. I didn't even buy his cassette tape, and that's all he had. He didn't even have a CD. This is how small he was at this point in time. He had a ghetto cassette tape, uh, and I didn't even buy the tape. I was so unimpressed. So obviously I'm not a worship leader talent scout. Uh, that is not a gift that God gave me, because this guy went on to, to be massive, and I could have talked to him. I probably could have got his phone number that day if I would have wanted to bad enough. We could have been boys. Maybe we leading worship at City Church today. I don't know. Uh, but, but I missed it. Uh, and yet, how many times do we do that in the presence of God? How many times is God's presence with us, and we're so oblivious to it, because we're distracted, because we got this going on, and we want to do this, and all these insignificant, minuscule things of life that really don't mean anything in eternity take all of our attention, and Jesus is right here, and we're not amazed in His presence. Well, guess what? When you get to heaven, you're not going to make that mistake anymore. You see, because in heaven, you are not going to escape the glory of Jesus. Jesus' glory is going to be central. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be the entire focus of heaven. And I'm not going to miss it anymore. I'm not going to be unaware of Him. I'm not going to miss out on the amazement of who He is because I'm distracted by something that in 50 years isn't going to mean anything. I'm going to be amazed in the presence of Jesus. So here's what I believe. Here's what I think is so great about heaven. Here's what I think we can apply here on earth. When Jesus is the center, everything is better. 
When Jesus is the center, everything is better. If you want things to get better at your workplace, put Jesus at the center. If you want things to get better in your marriage, put Jesus at the center. If you want your dating life to improve, put Jesus at the center. If you want your finances to improve, put Jesus at the center. Anything in life that you think is not where you want it to be, when you start making New Year's resolutions and you decide I'm going to lose 50 pounds and I'm going to read 37 books and I'm going to memorize the Bible and all the stuff you say you're going to do in New Year's, all those areas of life that you say, I'm not really where I want to be in this aspect, if you want it to really get somewhere different, put Jesus at the center. Because when Jesus is the center, everything is better. And when you get to heaven, Jesus will be the center of everything. You don't have to put him at the center anymore. You don't have to stop and remind yourself he needs to be at the center. You don't have to talk to your wife and say, okay, we need Jesus to be at the center of our marriage. Jesus is going to be at the center of everything in heaven, and that's why heaven's going to be amazing. So when you get to heaven, you're going to be amazed. Now, maybe you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're kind of not sure if you're a Christian. Maybe you're not really sure if church is the thing for you. Uh, Maybe you've been hurt by some Christians in the past. Maybe you've been hurt by church in the past. One of the reasons I think that, that so many Christians or so many people in our generation aren't amazed by Jesus is because they met Jesus' followers. Right? Like, one of the reasons why Jesus' glory is not just shining in people and they're like, yes, I want him, is because they know us. Right? Like, let's just be real. Um, I'm a pastor, full-time, by the grace of God. I get to work with Christians all the time. I can tell you, Christians are really good at hurting people. Like, that's one thing we're really good. Like, one thing I heard a pastor say one time is, sheep bite. Right? If you're a pastor, you're a shepherd, sheep bite. They don't tell you that. When you're training to be a pastor, when God calls you, he doesn't say, I'm sending you to send a flock and watch out. They've got teeth. Uh, like, didn't realize you're signing up for that. But people, Christians hurt each other. Christians hurt non-Christians. We hurt people. And so if you're one of those and you're kind of checking out church and, and maybe you haven't been in church in a long time because you got hurt and you got damaged, let me just say this. Please, 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 don't make the mistake of judging Jesus by us. Because Jesus is so much better than every single one of his followers put together. Jesus is so much greater. We still got junk and we still got flaws and we still got imperfections and there's stuff that happens here at City Church. As much as I wish that it didn't. Man, we, we hurt each other. It happens. And I think we're, we're probably one of the most loving, like, unified churches I've ever experienced. Like, we're all, man, I, comparatively speaking, talking to other pastors, I'm like, thank God for my people. Thank you, guys. You are so not crazy compared to most churches. And even at that, we suck, right? Like, let's just be real. Like, we hurt each other. And so please don't make the mistake of judging Jesus by us. Because Jesus is so much better. And if you want to hurt people less, if you want to glorify Him more, the the secret to that is getting closer to Him. Because here's the other truth. Some of the greatest people on earth are Christians. And they're not great. 
because of themselves. They're great because they're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And the closer they get to Jesus, the more they have grace and the more they have compassion and the more they have generosity and the more that they go out and share his love. And so if you don't want to be that stereotypical Christian, that that person who hurts people, put Jesus at the center. Draw close to him. Push into him. And as you get closer and closer to him, you're going to be more and more like him. That man full of grace and compassion named Jesus. He came and he died on a cross for you and for me so that we could go and stand amazed in his presence in heaven one day. I told you to turn to John chapter 14. Here in John chapter 14, that man Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about the next life. And let me push pause real quick because here's something I think we need to establish. Scripture is not always 100% clear when it speaks of eternity what is going to happen in the new heaven and what is going to happen in the new earth. There are going to be both. Uh, personally, I believe we're actually going to spend more time on the new earth than the new heaven, but, but we're going to use heaven as an umbrella term for both because when I say the new earth, it's not going to be the earth that we know. It's not going to be the earth with disease. It's not going to be the earth with sickness. It's not going to be the earth with people who hurt each other. Like It's going to be earth as heaven. Heaven's going to come to earth. And so both places are going to be heaven. And so some of the things that may not specifically say this is heaven or this is earth or this is going to happen here or there, we don't know. Uh, But I do know this. Heaven is a great proxy word for us to use for both because eternity we're going to be in God's presence. And we're going to be in God's presence whether it's in heaven or whether it's here on earth, and it's going to be amazing. So Jesus speaking about this, not saying exactly where it is, in John 14 he says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you get anything today, man, you'd be encouraged. And this is, this is encouragement. His disciples were going to face some tough times. They were going to go through some rough persecution. They were going to go through worse days than most of us will ever see. And yet Jesus says, even in the midst of everything you go through, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. King James says mansions. We like the King James better, right? But okay, it's rooms here in the NIV. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. What did we say last week? Heaven was prepared for God's people. Hell was prepared for Satan. God didn't prepare hell for us, but he is preparing heaven for us. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, this is a great promise. I will come back. And I will take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. What an awesome promise of Jesus. He's in heaven right now at the right hand of God the Father. But he's coming back. And he's coming back to take over. And he's coming back to rule. And he's coming back to reign. But he's also coming back for you. If you've received his salvation. Incredible, incredible promise. Before we move on, let me just ask you this. Is there anything in your life this week taking your attention and your focus off of Jesus. Maybe it was Thanksgiving. Maybe it was family. Maybe you do have family drama, and it's tough. And maybe that, that took your focus off. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was finances. Maybe it was Black Friday, and you went out and you fought people, and you bit them, and you kicked them, and you said ungodly things to them as you were buying Christmas presents for your family. Um, maybe it was something else. Was there anything in your life this week that's taken your eyes off of Jesus? And if there is, Can I just say, what an awesome day to put your eyes back where they belong. To look back at the person of Jesus, to look back at the one who died for you, and to recenter your focus, because when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed. 
Number two, when we get to heaven, we will be aware. <coughs> when we get to heaven, we'll be aware. There's going to be an awareness. What I mean in awareness, well, a couple years ago, uh, there was a couple who, who took my wife and I and a couple of other couples out and went to P.F. Chang's. I love P.F. Chang's. Uh, P.F. Chang's is a great, great place. Uh, and, and so we went to P.F. Chang's. If you've never been there, P.F. Chang's isn't the most expensive restaurant in Memphis, but it ain't McDonald's, okay? Like, it, you, you can spend some serious money there if you want to. And so, of course, we go in, and we're like, we hardly ever go, so we're going to get appetizers. You can't go to P.F. Chang's without getting an appetizer. Everybody usually gets the lettuce wraps. I get the ribs, okay? That's just, just telling you the ribs there, amazing. Uh, short ribs. Anyway, uh, so, side note. Uh, so we got appetizer, we got meals, we've got meals, we got dessert, great wall of chocolate, heaven on earth. Um, and, and so we got all this stuff, and we got beverages and, and whatever, and, and it was this great time, and everybody else did the same thing, and this one individual paid for it all. And I'm the guy who starts adding it up in my head. Like, okay, so you spent da-da-da, and I'm like, okay, there's a zero there, and a zero there, and carry the three, and God spent a, a very, very large sum of money. Why? To bring some joy to some people. To bless some people. And you know, Jesus went and paid a debt that you could never pay. See, I could have paid for my PS change that night. I was thrilled I didn't. It was awesome. But I could have done it. We had the money. We weren't going to go into debt for it. We, we weren't prepared to pay. Uh, but somebody else paid the debt for me. And yet Jesus came and he paid a debt for me that I could never pay. He picked up a tab that we could never cover. We couldn't work a million years and pay back the price that he paid. And he did it to bless you, to bring you joy. In our song, he says this. It says, he took my sins and my sorrows and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. Of course, goes on to say how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows. You see, remember we talked about those Christians who are really good at hurting people. Um, here's one of the reasons why. Because we're really good at, at seeing that, that the world needs a price paid for their sin. We're really good at evaluating the cost of their sins, and yet we're really good at justifying in our own mind, well, yeah, I needed Jesus, but I just needed a little bit. He didn't, you know, he just had to cover, just like one drop of blood. That's all that I covered. That's all that I needed. And the truth is, my sin was so bad, I had to be covered head to toe in the blood of Jesus. And so is yours. And Jesus took my sin, he took my sorrow, and he paid my debt. He picked up the tab. For me. So what happens when we get to heaven? We're going to have an awareness of what Jesus has done for us. See, sometimes it's really easy to forget about it. And sometimes it's really easy to be that religious Christian and to think that I'm doing this. And I handed out turkeys on Monday night. And, man, we handed out clothes. And we did Mission OB. And, by the way, you guys are awesome. And thank you for helping out with that. Let's give it up for everybody who helped out and served in Mission OB this past Monday. You blessed a lot of people. We learned even some things that we can do for next year that we've never done before. I'm very excited about what you guys are doing in our community. But it's so easy for us to default back to that works mentality that, man, I'm pretty good. Puff my chest out a little bit. I'm pretty, pretty awesome. And forget, he took my sins and he took my sorrow. But when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be puffing out my chest about how good I am. 
ever. I'm never making that mistake again. I will be constantly, permanently, eternally aware that Jesus took my sin and my sorrow. And he cleansed me and he washed me and he saved me. Lastly, today, when we get to heaven, number three, first of all, we're going to be amazed. Secondly, we're going to be aware. Number three, when we get to heaven, we will celebrate. We will celebrate! Yes, some of you have to go to the bathroom after service now to take care of what just happened. But when we get to heaven, we get to celebrate. What are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done. We're going to have a party. You guys should be a little more excited about that. We're going to have a party. Come on, that is awesome. We get to celebrate when we get to heaven. One of my favorite things about this lady right here who suckered into marrying me. One of the most amazing things about Melody Joy Stoughton is Melody loves to celebrate. One of my favorite things about her. My, my wife is one of those people that she is personally offended by the thought that somebody would work on their birthday. Uh, like birthdays are sacred holidays to my wife. Uh, she loves to celebrate it. She gets it from her mama. I don't know if she got it from her mama, the whole generation thing or what, but, but I know that my wife and my mother-in-law, they love to celebrate. They love to throw parties. They love to decorate. They love to do stuff up big. This, this past week was a big celebration at the Southern House. We had our first Thanksgiving with our son, and we decided to do it just the three of us and to just hang out. And so we, did, uh, we didn't do a full turkey because we knew we'd never eat all of it. Uh, so we got turkey legs. We wrapped them in bacon, and that was our Thanksgiving. And we celebrated with some bacon-wrapped turkey legs. Uh, and, and then Black Friday, we, we didn't go out and shop. We stayed home where it was safe and where it was warm. Uh, and, and we did like a whole marathon, and we had appetizers, and we did this whole thing, and, and we just celebrated two days off with each other, just the three of us. And, and, man, this whole year has really been a celebration for us. year started out with us finding out that we were pregnant. And then we had the pregnancy and the birth of our child. February, we found out that the Seahawks were Super Bowl champions. There was a lot to celebrate this year. It was a great year in the Southern House. And so we've just been celebrating and celebrating and celebrating. My wife gets excited to celebrate. I think our world loves to celebrate. The world's good at celebrating. The world's good at throwing parties. And go to Times Square on New Year's Eve. The world is good at throwing parties. But you know what breaks my heart? We should lead the way in celebration. The world should look to the church and say, how do you guys celebrate? Because we got more to celebrate than anybody does. They can go crazy because a ball drops and a calendar turns one year and they can lose their minds for that. And we've been eternally saved from damnation and we look forward to heaven and we don't know how to celebrate. We should throw the best parties. A church service should look more like a party than a funeral. It should. We should come in and celebrate. We should come in and have joy and excitement and passion. We shouldn't be dead. We shouldn't be, be monotone. And some of you are like, well, there's got to be a reverence and a solemnity. And yes, there's a place for that. But when I read the scripture, I see a lot of joy. I see a lot of celebration. I see a dad who loved his lost son so much that when he came back to him, he ran to him and threw the massive party and killed the fatted cat. And that's the God that I serve. That's the God whose image I'm made in. That's the God that this church comes to celebrate. And we need to get better at celebrating. That 
these people should be pretty stinking good at celebrating. And how sad is it that, that non-Christians or, or people, some of us Christians, can get better at celebrating a Super Bowl championship than God's people celebrating eternal salvation. I'm, like I said, I'm a Seahawks fan, and some of the things other Seahawks fans did was crazy this year to celebrate. I, there were people who got tattoos of, like, the Super Bowl trophy. Um, nuts. There's a picture I brought to you. This lady did this to her house. Single woman uh, turned her house into a Seahawk home to celebrate. The world knows how to celebrate. The world knows how to look really kind of foolish. And they don't care. And in the Old Testament, we see David do exactly that. He says, I'll become more undignified than this. I'm going to celebrate in the presence of God. And when we get to heaven, we're going to celebrate beyond anything we can do here. We're going to celebrate for eternity that Jesus is there, that He loves us, that He died for us, that He allows us to be with Him. Not just allows us, He wants us with Him. We're going to celebrate. Anthony gets it. That's what I'm talking about. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to celebrate. We can start the party now. And I think if Christians walked around with some joy and rocked around with a smile and looked like they believed that Jesus actually did something amazing and saved us from, from hell, there's probably going to be some more people that would come to us and say, you know what, what's, what's different about you? Why can't I have what you have? And we get an opportunity to introduce them to the one who is worth celebrating. And they never have to come to a church service to meet him. You can introduce them right there at your workplace, in your neighborhood, on your street, at your school, wherever you might be. And then you get to bring them to church to celebrate with the body of Christ, with their, their body, their Christian family. What an awesome experience that would be. We've got to learn to celebrate. Here's what it says in our hymn, I Stand Amazed. The last verse says this, when with the ransomed in glory, the ransomed, those who, whose debt had already been paid, his face I at last shall see. It will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Now, the easy thing to do right now would be to call the worship team back up here and we'd end with a song and I'd tell you to worship like you've never worshiped before. And that's normally how I would do this. I'm not going to do that today. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Carry out your joy this week. Find a song, maybe you know by yourself, maybe you get it online, whatever, to worship to. Maybe you've already got a worship CD. I want you to celebrate on your own this week. Jesus, celebrate what he's done for you. Worship and sing to him like you're going to do in heaven. Get your voice warmed up now. He says, make a joyful noise. That's the only thing I can do. It don't sound pretty coming out of my mouth, but I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to make some noise. Celebrate Jesus this week. And then when we come back next week and we start our new series, let's gather together and celebrate the Jesus who's amazing, the Jesus who we're now aware of what he's done for us. Let's celebrate that Jesus like we were already face-to-face with him in heaven. Not just imagining what it would be like to, to fall in his presence or to sing hallelujah. What would we do? What an awesome song. I love that song. But let's celebrate together. Like people who actually believe we're saved. Amen. And then when we get to heaven, we're going to stand amazed at who he is. We're going to be aware of what he's done. And we're going to celebrate for eternity. I can't tell you every detail of what will happen, especially not in the time we have together today. Even if we had enough time, I couldn't sum it all up for you. I don't know it all. But I know these three things. And those three things give me hope. And they give me comfort. 
and they give me joy and they get me fired up. And you and I know people out in that world who they need those three things. They need to be amazed at who Jesus is. They need to be aware of what He's done. And once they meet Him, they need the opportunity to celebrate. Let's go get them, church. Let's bring them in. Let's not just go to heaven, but let's take a massive amount of people with us. Amen?